Good morning. Welcome to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Yes, staying warm out there. It is a pretty frigid, uh, frigid place that we live in across Western Canada right now. And joining me by the phone is a couple people who are, well, doing a little bit of traveling. Uh, we've got Rick, who's out in the U.S. somewhere, and Jill's in Edmonton. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. So, Rick, you're on your way to warmer places, aren't you? Yeah, I'm on my way down to, to visit family down in Palm Springs, but I had to go through Montana. It was minus 42, and, <laughs> but now, now in Salt Lake City, it's, it's, uh, it's only uh, minus one, so it's pretty good. Oh, that's pretty nice. Wow, that's pretty <laughs> yeah. cool. And, and what's it like in Regina, or, uh, Edmonton, I should say, right now, uh, Jill? Well, I'm, I'm here for a ringette tournament um, this weekend, and it's, man, it's a cold weekend to spend at the rinks, that's for sure. And we were looking at our coldest, I think, when we, it was minus 42 one day, and this morning it's minus 38, so it's pretty cold out here. We're constantly starting our vehicles. Wow, minus 36 around most of the province this morning, waking up to that, and of course, wind chills make it feel around minus 50. That's what we're seeing right now. So it is, uh, yeah, frostbite in, in, in minutes, if not seconds, and uh, pretty pretty brutal temperatures to deal with. I, I'm driving yeah, around I the city, and I keep seeing, like, dead cars, you know, uh, like a, yeah. lots and lots of those where they just made it somewhere and that the cars quit or died on them or the diesel truck, uh, you know, the diesel turns to gel and it just doesn't run. So it's, it's that Lots cold out. blown out tires on the, on the side of the roads here. That's for sure. Mm, yeah, that can be a thing too, right? Especially if, you, if, the, mm. if the pressure goes low and then you drive on it at a low tire, then it blows out and, and shreds it. So that's, that can definitely be a thing too. So keep an eye on that stuff. Uh, hey, let's, let's talk about some, let's, let's try to get ourselves in a better, you know, warmer <laughs> mood, thinking about the greenery and all that. You can actually go and enjoy that in some place. And that is the garden center and the greenhouse of Dutch growers, right? What's new around there? Yeah, well, there's lots happening at the Garden Center right now, and um, that's something to, to look up online, whether you're traveling somewhere or you're, you're, you're just getting that kind of winter jitters. Go look up and see where a garden center is in your area. Sometimes you can even, if you're in a small, air, small town, a lot of the greenhouses will be starting to fire up end of January and February. So maybe you want to call them and, and book a tour, or maybe a small greenhouse is looking for a volunteer for a day or something like that. Like you can, you can always get involved that way too. Um, but one thing that we're doing at the greenhouses right now is we're plugging up and insulating all those little cold areas. We're bringing new plant shipments in, and this is a little bit tricky in, in these times of years. And maybe that's something, Jay, we can, we can talk about a little bit. I know some people maybe are even moving. Um, at this time of year in the cold and they don't really have a choice but to move some of their plants. So like, how can we do that? Um, the other thing that's exciting is we're thinking about uh, spring coming and kind of preparing for spring. Mm-hmm. And uh, the seed starting supplies are starting to hit the floor. So that's really exciting. And there's things that you can even start in your home right now, whether it's uh, maybe you want to grow a little bit of lettuce, um, get a grow light and some growing media and grow some lettuce or some herbs right on your kitchen countertop. And that can maybe just be that little that peak of growth that gets you through the winter season. Right. Absolutely. one 332 8255 That's how you join the conversation with us today. We're live, of course, and here to take your calls. If there's something that didn't go right last year, something with uh, the garden, the vegetables, flowers, the trees, the lawn, any of that stuff, uh, it all counts. And, and we want to get you set on the right path for this coming up spring and getting ready for that. But, you know, to my point that I was making before is that if you're like me, I mean, I, I'm, I don't really enjoy winter, if I'm totally honest. Uh, it, it happens. <laughs> 
happens around here and there's nothing we can do about it, despite having two months of pretty much non-winter to kick off this season, which was pretty cool. But if you're, you know, craving that greenery, that warm, earthy smell, you can go into a greenhouse and you can experience that, which is pretty cool. But we were talking uh, about, about moving plants. So let's go into that before we go to our first break here. We got a little bit of time. How, you know, whether we're moving a plant because somebody is, you know, moving houses or we're transporting a plant because we bought a new one at a garden center or maybe it's a, a big box store or a grocery store, you can get plants in all those places. How do we properly protect these guys from the cold? Well, there's a few things you can do. And if you go to a garden center, they're most likely will wrap your plants for you in mm-hmm. paper and then in plastic. And the reason why they're doing the both layers because you put the plastic around almost like a, a layer of um, air to insulate the plant. But in these cold temperatures, I would even take it a step further and I would bring a blanket with you as well. And if you have a larger plant, I would wrap that plant in the blanket first and then maybe even grab a large um garbage bag or a dry cleaner bag and then capture that air between that as well. Make sure that you're not, a lot of grocery stores or um, box stores will actually just provide you with a plastic bag and that plastic bag is going to capture the cold air in and then the cold air is going to stick right to the plant and that's actually going to burst those cells faster and keep that plant colder. So that's not the best idea. You want to put a layer of insulation between the plastic, capture the air with the plastic bag after that. So bringing a blanket with you um, or even a Rubbermaid container or something you can put these plants into and then having your vehicle warm mm-hmm. ahead of time and pull it as close to the vehicle. And a lot of people think, oh, you know what, I'm just going to quickly run it out to my vehicle. And that's not, it, it's the matter of seconds and these cells will be bursting. And then usually you don't see the signs right away. So it's not like you're just like, oh, it, it made it fine into my car. Um, but it will be a day or two later, those the cells will start turning black and, and will, will, the sign of damage will show. Yeah, no Especially doubt. If it's a, if it's a, like Jay, if it's a smaller, even a smaller plant, you got, and you've only got plastic, just even blow it up like a balloon, you know? Get, mm-hmm. Gather the plastic together, blow it up so that the leaves are, try not to touch the plastic, because the, if the leaves are touching the plastic, that will actually draw the cold right to those leaves. So just blow it out, try to blow some air into it and try to blow it up like a balloon. That'll help a lot to get that, that air gap between the plastic and the plant. Right. So it can be done. We can transport plants in this kind of cold temperatures. We just got to be prepared and ready for it. So make sure that's that's what you're doing. Uh, we want to talk about speaking with the cold, uh, just things to watch for around our yards right now. Uh, I know, you know, it's it's hard to believe that there are animals, you know, when we go outside for just two or three minutes to get to the car to, you know, maybe shovel that front driveway really quick. You know, we are, we're freezing when we get back in and, you know, despite wearing all kinds of layers and everything like that, it's hard to believe that animals can make it through this kind of weather, but food is important to them, right? Mm-hmm. So, so important. And I mean, we're by no means bird experts. So if you have um, some suggestions uh, for us, um, please call in or text us and give us some suggestions on like, how, what's worked for you for feeding the birds um, and, and give us some tips and tricks that way. But yeah, food and water. Rick, tell us tell us kind of what, I know your dad was a big birdie. So tell us a little bit about what he would do at the wintertime. Yeah, in the wintertime, he'd, he'd uh, make some suet cakes or he'd put suet cakes out for some, a lot of the things like woodpeckers and the chickadees and those kind of things. They really love those kind of things. And then also, he, we used to put out, a, a, you can get them very easy. It's just a, a, a pet bowl. 
that you can put outside that's, that you can plug in, and then it actually gives them some water. And then just throw a stick or something like that into that pet bowl so that the little birds can climb down to the stick and get down to the water without actually going into the water. And so um, uh, that works for, the, for them to have some open water. And uh, But, yeah, just putting some food. Sunflower seed seems to be the, the biggest choice that a lot of our winter birds like around here. And uh, uh, so then that, that's probably, for what I know about them, that's probably the, the best. The main part that we want to stress, too, that we know we've, we've heard before uh, people talk about is that, you know, if you start feeding the birds, keep feeding the birds, right? Yep. Uh, because they, they begin to rely on that as a food source. And if you stop feeding them halfway through winter or take it away, they, they're going to have to struggle to go find something else. And oftentimes, you know, it's tough for those birds to find it in time because they have such, they're, you know, they're tiny little creatures, right? They're just itty bitty. So uh, they, hey, they don't hold a lot of energy at once. And then they need the, that constant source of energy, too, to, to stay warm enough to stay alive, really, frankly, right? So keep feeding them if yeah. you're going to start. And, yeah, um, and Jay, sure, there's, there's make, other places that you can look for information. Um, you can go to the Nature Society. Um, there's a, a lot of information on the website. Mm-hmm. And if you want to get involved that way, either with bird counts or doing some nature hikes or um, learning a little bit more about feeding feeding the birds, or maybe you just have some information. Maybe you saw a bird that's struggling and you want to figure out how to help it. You can go to the Nature Society and they will kind of walk you through that process. Perfect. We've got a, more, a few more topics to talk to, uh, talk about. But we're first, we're going to get a call on because Paul... Paul wants to call us and talk about some bird food stuff as well. Hey, Paul, how are you? Good morning, everybody. Morning, morning. So Good morning. For, so much for global warming. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> certainly not warm where we are, that's for sure. And it yeah. seems to be a big, pretty big Western Canada, northern states uh, kind of problem. So it's, it's, yeah. a, lot, it's a lot of well, places. Well, we'll take it. I, I got my fireplace roaring here, so oh, it, nice. it's kind of nice and toasty. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk about bird food uh, I, I'm looking at my bird feeder right now, and it's on, not on fire literally, but the birds are all over it. I feed them a wild bird seed. It's a medium sunflower chips, and one after the other, after the other, after the other. I can't even count how many birds in a minute that are hitting this thing. It's, wow. It's, well, food so, is warm. So many sunflower then. Yeah. So yeah, how often are you feeling that? Are, 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 a, a, Paul, are those mini sunflowers, are they shelled or unshelled? They're shelled. They're the, just the chips. Yep. And it's a 20-pound bag that I picked up for, it was $50 from one of, uh, from Early's, you know, they're, they're a partner. So, yeah. And, uh, okay, they, and they just love it. How long it. do you think they last, that 50-pound bag? How often are you picking it up? Uh, I'll, just, I'll just pick one bag up for the season. Okay. Well, like that's I awesome. To, I used to get the sunflower seeds, and I was going through a bag every week and a half. They waste so much, you know. They break open a seed, it'll fall on the ground, boom, they go and get another one. And, and, in, and in the springtime, I have sunflowers growing underneath my trees. <laughs> so, but uh, anyways, and I also made suet after the last show. I was talking about uh, suet. Yeah, and and uh, it's just as crazy. Like it's from one to the other, and even at this temperature, they're still able. You know, they sit, they hang on. A, I put it in an onion bag. They hang on the onion bag, and they just pick away, pick away, pick away, and fill themselves up, and then well, they'll go for some chips or you know the the sunflower chips. And uh, as far as water goes, I'm really surprised that my uh, dog dish 
is uh, is not freezing. It's still so still staying staying liquid in there, even at minus yeah, four forty, yeah, right? Frost on the top, like when I went out there this morning. Um, you know, there was a, a a thing of frost on top. I just broke that open. Boom! It's it's liquid underneath. Awesome, awesome. That's that's great. Oh so, yeah, no, they're they're happy here. So, and like I said, I can't even count how many birds are on my feeders right now. That's that's how crazy it is. But they're hungry. Shows how important it is to them too, right? If if oh, you've got them there, freezing. Right? They'll they, you know without the food they'll die. So, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for your call, Paul, and the update. We're love, love to have you on the show always. Great. You guys have a great weekend. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. one 332 8255 That's great stuff from Paul there. Uh, love to hear good stories like that, which is which is cool too. Um, we wanted to touch on a few other things when it comes to the cold weather. You know, we got quite a bit of snow. I, you know, it's not, it's not record-setting by any means, but we did get a good dump of snow in, in good parts of the province this past week before the cold set in, and some of it's staying on the trees, right? Yeah, yeah some, some of, of it's staying on the some are staying on Sorry, the trees. Go ahead, Nick. So what what you want to do when it's staying on the trees is that for the for most trees it's it's fine. You can just leave it on there, but for some of them like your cedars and that kind of stuff where you have multiple branches going up, it wants to split them open. And if it splits them open, if it if it stays like that for too long, all of a sudden the the branches will actually basically freeze into that location, and it'll, and it'll take a long time in the spring for them to come back. You'll actually have to tie them back to come back. So so what you can do is if you if you're having that problem issue is that you can just lightly take a little dust broom, you know, and, and, and just take some off. You want to be careful because the branches are very brittle. So you don't want to be whacking them too hard because it just break the branches on them. And, or if you have, if you know you have some cedars, you can always take some, um, a bungee strap or or uh, some little nylon or something that won't cut not like that won't cut into the to the bark and you can actually tie your branches together so that they don't split apart. Uh, so that's what you can do and, and your shrubs and that they'll be fine. Uh, just let them get covered right up with snow. That'll actually help protect them and from this very brutal cold. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, you know another thing we have to think about that with the you know we tend to be in our in our houses not out in the yard very much at these cold temperatures. But if we got a lot of uh, uh, extreme cold and some snow built up. Modern homes, especially where the chimney is not on the roof anymore, it's on the side of your house, or there's fresh air intakes and things like that. Those are things to consider too, right? Yeah, make sure that you keep those cleared off. Uh, with this kind of cold, you will actually get icicles that will that will form, and make sure you keep those clear. Keep snow clear from those uh, so that you're you don't get covered in oxygen. And also, one thing you got to make sure, and I do that in my house too, because my basement windows are basically emergency exits. So just make sure you, if you got snow up against any of those basement windows where you know you got somebody living in the basement, you want to make sure you keep those clear as well, so the people can escape if anything happens. I know it's sometimes it's it's strange phenomenons. Like I have a, a neighbor next to our house. It doesn't happen to my house, but just the way the, the where the fence is, where my house and 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 his house is is built physically and where they happen to put the uh, intake and, and output the exhaust for the furnace, whatever situation it is with the wind, it just happens to, when it's windy and cold and snowing, it just happens to sort of plug up those vents uh, and the exhaust and the furnace won't run. So I, I've actually had to rescue them a couple times when they were on vacation years ago. Uh, and he told he texted me and said, oh, furnace isn't working. Can you go pour some, you know, get some w- warm water and just kind of rinse out that vent and it, it cleared it out. So, you know, it's yep. you kind of got to be, be paying attention to that, these cold temperatures. When it's much warmer, not a problem, but it's this extreme cold where all the humidity in the air just freezes so instantaneously that it becomes yep. a bit of an issue. So, 
And, mm-hmm. and also very important, Jay, is that, you know, a lot of people, in, whether it be in a garage or some, you know, part in the house, they, they, you're using a, a space heater of some sort, you know, to keep something warm and, and from freezing up. Just make sure those space heaters are in good condition and that you have, you know, you're not using long extension cords for them and those kind of things. You just don't want to have a fire when it's this cold. So uh, yeah. that's, that's, or any time. So just make sure you're very careful with some of those space heaters. Cause a lot of people are using space heaters right now. And just be careful. Yeah, if if wiring is cracked or broken or frayed, that's uh, that's a yep. no go for sure, for sure. Yeah. Uh, when we get, you know, it's funny because ice melter doesn't work very well at this temperature, but when it does warm up, you know, a lot of people are using ice melter, so salt of some kind on their sidewalks and stuff. There are certain kinds we kind of want to have a look at and, and double double take or consider when we're what we're choosing for our for our our sidewalks, right? Yeah, if you're just using that the, the straight, it's called rock salt. Uh, that stuff there will uh, eat your sidewalk. It'll, it'll if you bring it in your shoes, it'll hurt your hardwood floors and that. But the biggest thing is you'll kill your grass right along your driveway. And if you throw it onto perennial beds, it'll kill all your perennials. I've seen it in many commercial properties uh, mm-hmm. where they put a lot of things like rock salt on because they're worried about slip and falls. But we had to have to go back there, and we can't even replace the plants because the uh, the soil is so contaminated, the plants won't take again. So you just got to be careful on the amount you use. But there's a lot of uh, salts out there that you can see they're they're a little more expensive than just the straight rock salt, and uh, but they're but they're a lot more environmentally safety and more safe for the plants that are around. So I'd suggest people to use that, especially around their landscapes, uh, rather than just the bags of rock salt. We got one more. We got one minute to go before our news update here, but. You know, we got to mention the the rabbits and the bunnies too, and and your your fruit trees because that's a consideration in the cold here too, right? Well, for people around Saskatchewan, you know, especially in the rural areas, but not just the rural areas, but yeah, mainly the rural areas because uh, there's a lot of green grass from people irrigating in the cities. But there's a lot of jackrabbits around and bush rabbits, and because of the drought, I noticed that around our acreage, there's not much food value in the grass around. And uh, so what happens now is they're start they're going to go after all the apple trees and all the other shrubs. So make sure you got tree guards around your trunks. So you don't lose your apple trees, your flowering crabs, or your your other kind of plants, and uh, um, and your cedars. Not make sure you put little fences around them. Right, right. Keep keep that that going because you don't want to have all that hard work go into your landscaping and then lose it all because of something like that. So, oh, exactly. Uh, the cold has been, of course, a big topic of our conversation because it relates to plants in so many ways. Whether it's you know taking care of tropical plants, moving them around, or it's the stuff outside. Uh, we did want to talk about talk about. Taking care of some of those indoor plants, though, uh, Jill and Rick, with uh, sort of, you know, Christmas is wrapped up. People have unpa- you know, packed their Christmas stuff away. And sometimes I think a lot of those, those Christmas plants or that Christmas stuff means that our regular house plants get forgotten a little bit, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think of, of the one that, that most people have at the poinsettia, the Christmas plant. And um, I, I, I find that that's almost like a long-term floral arrangement. I, most people don't keep it. <laughs> Um, through through the entire year and the entire season, and if they if you do, there's a few things that you might want to know to care about it. And one is you might want to transplant it into a bigger pot if you're planning on keeping it. That pot that it's in is probably uh, a four, six, or an eight inch pot, and it's going to be so root bound at that point in time. So putting it into a bigger pot will help you be more sustainable with keeping it watered. Um, and then the next thing too is the light. Um, remember in the wintertime, we only have a, such a small amount of light and these plants are like native to places like California, Mexico, like 
like very hot, dry places. And so even if we have it in a south or west window, it's usually not enough light. So if you want to not have leaf drop, so that's when the bottom leaves start dropping off the plant or you'll start losing about a third of the leaves, you need to add an additional light. So adding a grow light or something like that too. Um, The other thing, if you are finding you are getting leaf drop on the plant, you can decrease your watering and allow that plant to go dormant a little bit. And that's completely normal. Allow some of the leaves to drop off. Um, put it in sort of a little bit of a cooler area and uh, decrease your watering a little bit on it. And then in about a couple months' time, increase it, fertilize, and get it back into the sunlight once we have sunlight hours too. So that's something you can do with your poinsettias. And then a lot of people will move them right outside once the weather gets warm enough. So once you're getting about that 10 degrees, move them outside, take them outside for the entire winter season, and then you have to put them in a box. Um, or into a complete darkness to get them to change colors. So there's a process to the poinsettia, but a lot of people who are doing it as a hobby, um, they, they might say, hey, you know what, I want a challenge. I want to try and keep my poinsettia. Um, the other one, Jay, did you did you do any amaryllis at all? I, I didn't, but I had family members that did. You know, they had okay. they had the bulb out. Yeah, for sure. And did you have, did you give them, or did you have the family members with the wax bulb, or did they have just the, the bulb that you plant in the soil? No, they were, they were the wax ones. They were the wax-covered okay. ones, yeah. Those are really cool. Rick, do you want to touch a little bit on the amaryllis bulb? Yeah, on the members' walls, you want to make sure that if, you're, if you have the wax ones, what you want to do is if it's finished blooming right now, and also the top is basically withered down, what you can do then is that, uh, don't don't cut the stem off until it's totally withered down because the energy has to go back down into the bulb from that stem. And once it's sort of kind of withered and turned brown, you can cut it off. And then what you want to do with that wax, you can you can slowly, carefully peel it off just like you would an onion, that wax off. And then there's a little wire ring at the bottom so that it can stand up on, on your counter. So what you want to do is carefully pull that wire ring off. And then once you do that, then you can stick it into a, a, a pot and, uh, and it doesn't have to be a very big pot because there's not a lot of roots there yet. And it can be like in probably about a six-inch pot to start off with. And put it into a six-inch pot with some potting soil into it. And just give it a little bit of water, not too much water. Because you know, if you put it really, really wet, it'll just rot the bulb. And then, then that, plant, that bulb will actually start to root. And then actually what it'll do is it'll probably start putting some leaves out. And then you can just treat that as a house plant. And even put it out in the deck if you want for the summertime and then next and then what you want to do is you, next summer, you want to put it out on, especially the end of the summer, you want to put it out in the deck, not out in the hot, hot sun, but more of a sun and shady area. And then that what it'll do is it'll trigger the plant to really start to get blooming again. Uh, so then once you put it outside in, August, let's say, the end of August, and then you can take it inside and put it inside your fridge. If you want to give it that little bit of cooling, or even if, if you leave it outside long enough, the nighttime temperatures are usually around 5 degrees, you know, 4 degrees, that kind of thing. That's enough to trigger it as well, and then for next Christmas, it'll start blooming again. Right, right, perfect. Now, one thing to note is that if you're wanting an amaryllis that you're wanting to keep year after year after year, I probably wouldn't buy one of the waxed amaryllis. I would buy one that I plant in soil or even set it on top of rocks and let the roots grow down into the water. I... When I take the, the wax off, sometimes that bulb is, it has so much energy that's depleted out of it because that bulb is basically using 
just whatever's in the bulb, that it's usually about, like, it looks a little bit pruny and soft in some places. Um, I mean, there is a chance that that bulb's going to survive and, and, and thrive in the future, but I would say you probably have about 60% chance that that bulb is going to be too far gone, that it's going to be able to sustain an, a new bloom for the next season. So that's just a little note. If you're looking to sort of transfer or to, to grow to grow uh, amaryllis, sort of to save as like um, a collection, I would go with an amaryllis that is not wax-coated. In, in reality, it, they, we, we, a lot of people treat them just like a poinsettia, where it's a, it's a seasonal plant that you use for the season, and then it, that's it. It's, it's discarded after that, right? And so exactly. that, and there's nothing wrong exactly. with that. That's what, that's what the, the market is. It's, that's how we, how we make them, but that's why, why they look, look so cool, because they stand there by themselves without soil. So, you know, that's just the reality of what they are, but nothing wrong with that no as well. No different than a cut bouquet of flowers at Exactly. That point. Yeah, totally. Correct? Totally. Yeah. Hey, my orchid's uh, sending up another shoot. Oh, Jay, awesome. tell us about your orchid. I, I, um, I, orchids are, are such like a common thing that people will have in their home. And I love that you picked this one up and it's almost become this little hobby slash, <laughs> um, pride item for you. So tell us about your orchid. And Jay, do you want to go over a little bit about winter orchid care and what you kind of found works for you? Um, watering, fertilizing, all sunlight, everything like that. You know, uh, to be honest, the care for my orchid doesn't change year-round. It sort of just okay. stays kind of the same, and that keeps it going nonstop. Uh, it's a Philanopsis white orchid. It came from a grocery store a long time ago. Um, but, you know, what, what happened this year is that the last set of blooms that were on it lasted about, ooh, Four months, I'd say. Like it was a solid four months of having blooms on that on that plant. I just stayed right there. I think I had twelve of them this time, something like that. My record, I think, is twenty five at a time or twenty six at oh a time. Oh my goodness, twenty five blooms! Yeah, That's incredible. Something like that. So we were at we were about twelve this last one, and I, it just about made it to Christmas, but not quite. So then, you know, let the stick or let the the, the bracket that, that had the flowers grow on kind of just die back. Uh, cut it down, and that's you know that Christmas time is like is the darkest part of our our year, right? So now that we're finally getting a little bit more light throughout out the day, um, I've been kind of actually keeping the fertilizer going, and that sort of seems to have triggered it to to send up another bracket and shoot up some more flowers. So it's just about and a speaking about light. What kind of window do you have it in? What kind of space? Okay, so it's it's on in my living room, but we have a south facing living room. So the 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 big window in our living room faces south, but it's not up near the window. It's actually on a glass coffee table in the middle of the room with uh, lots of light coming in from there. But I, I think there's a couple things about that. Number one, it's, it's south, so that's the most light we could get. But it's further away from the window, so it stays warm because it's such a tropical plant. But it's also on a glass table, which I think reflects a lot of light back up into the plant. So, I, you know... I, would it do as good if it was on, say, a, a wooden coffee table? Maybe not. I don't have any proof of that, but it certainly seems to just love where it is. So it just stays there all the time. It gets watered about once every two to three-ish weeks, give or take. So that's that's where I'll do a, a deep watering where I fill up the, the pot that it's in. It's sort of in a, in a two-stage pot. There's a plastic sleeve inside of a regular uh, ceramic pot. So that plastic sleeve has holes in it. And all the bark, mulch, and all that stuff that it, that's, that goes into it. But I soak it. it when it's in the ceramic pot, I, I mix up sort of the, the water and fertilizer mix, the orchid-specific fertilizer. I fill it right up to the top of the ceramic pot. So it's just soaking for about mm, 20 minutes or so. Then I lift the plant in the plastic sleeve out of the ceramic pot, put it in the kitchen sink, and let it drip 
itself out down so that it's not full of water. There's lots of moisture left around the roots and in the bark, but there's no actual water sitting in the pot that way. So it's not drowning the roots in actual water. It's just all moisture. Uh, and then put it back into the ceramic pot, put it back on the, <laughs> on the coffee table, and that's kind of it. It just sort of does its thing. So I think it's the right combination of light, water, you know, and we don't want, you know, there's that, that trick about ice cubes that we, people talk about, and I found yeah, that, don't that, do that that doesn't really work. You know, there's the recommendations, oh, put an ice cube on top of the roots every, you know, week or what, whatever that is. I find that just soaking it, draining it uh, every two to three weeks keeps it going the right way, so... I mean, the ice cube root, like, it would work. It's better than nothing, I guess, but mm-hmm. it's not ideal to put, especially, think about these. These are cold, these are tropical plants, and you're putting an ice cube, which which is very cold water, onto a root system, and that's probably not the best thing to The other thing, that that sleeve that you pull out, it's usually a clear sleeve. Is yours clear, Jay? Yep, it is. It's clear sleeve, yep. Yeah, and one thing that's really neat with orchids is that when you're pulling it out, when it when it needs water, those those uh, those roots that are in there, they're actually almost a silvery color. And have you noticed, Jay, that when you put them in the water, they turn almost a bright green color again? They do, and, yeah. Uh, and that's the sign that your your roots are hydrated. So um, if you're noticing that the roots are silver, hey, that's a sign I need to water. And then once you're you have soak them in water once the roots turn green that's a sign hey the roots are hydrated i can drain the excess water out now totally so that's a little tip too yeah yeah exactly exactly so don't be afraid of an orchid they're they're actually not that hard to take care of just sort of follow a routine and away it goes and mine like i said i, I don't know how many flowers we're gonna get this time hopefully lots but i do find that because it's it's bloomed at different times of the year in the past that when we get uh, a brack coming up and it's blooming in the summer season that's when i get the most flowers just cuz there's so much more intense light and things like that the winter time blooms seem to be kind of a little a little less yeah uh we're talking about a lot of things that relate to the cold weather but you know indoor house plant stuff we were going over with uh, things like that we do have a question though that's come in on our phone line so let's go there first and go to rose valley we're going to talk to russ right now hi there russ how are you ah beautiful today <laughs> right on what's uh, what's um, come to your mind yeah um okay i've got uh i guess i'm wondering about uh, such a nice day pruning fruit trees Pruning fruit trees, yeah. As long as it's is is long as it's warmer than minus twenty and then minus twenty. If it's below minus twenty, I suggest not to prune fruit trees. But if it's uh, minus, if it's below minus, like anywhere from you know zero to to uh, minus twenty, you can definitely prune your fruit trees and uh, just uh, do your regular pruning you normally do on them. Not a problem. Okay. How about a? Okay, I've, I've got a couple sastoon bushes that are out of control. They are yep. 18 feet tall. Yeah, you can trim them back right in so that they're more manageable. You can trim them back in half if you want. So they're, half, if they're 8, okay. 12 feet tall. You can bring them down to 6 feet tall if you want. Okay, so eight, say 16, 18 down to 8, and might not get much fruit next this coming year, but... At least yeah, you you'll get less because obviously a lot of the fruit yeah. this, when it's that tall was at the top, right? So you will yeah, get less fruit just because there's less just, plant, yeah. but you'll still you'll still get a lot of pl- fruit at the bottom. <laughs> okay, awesome. I, so I just need to wait uh, wait a week. Yeah, for yeah, just wait, wait a week until it warms <laughs> up a little bit, and then you'll be fine to go. Okay, now uh, one more quick thing. Um, we've got. Uh, wild choke cherries. Can yep. we uh, plant with slips, like cuttings? 
soft cuttings is what I'm thinking. Yep. Definitely. When you when you take those, you can take those probably in March. That's that's when I would pick them. I pick them in March and then put them in the fr- put them in a bag and put them in a fridge, a perforated bag, and put them in in the fridge and then you can plant them out in the spring. As soon as the ground's warmed up enough. Exactly. Awesome. Well, thanks for your call, Russ. Really appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Thank uh, you. Have a great day. Bye. Stay warm. Take care. Yep. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. You going to say something there, Jill? Yeah. So, Rick, um, with the fruit trees, I know we've been getting lots of questions even to the garden center. I think people are just, in general, with the the trend of, like, edible plants, there's more fruit trees that are out there. Can you maybe just do a quick run-through? Like, what are you looking for when you're pruning your fruit trees, Um, like, compared to an apple or a cherry or maybe a bush-type fruit tree like a... um, like a Saskatoon or a housecap or a, or a blueberry, um, can you maybe just say like what what are you what are you looking for when you're pruning? Are you are you pruning out disease or is that the only time you're pruning? Are you pruning for more fruit production? Maybe just yeah. give us a quick run through. Yeah, the biggest one with fruit is that you're trying to prune so that you get you try to thin out the middle a little bit so that you get more light into the plant so that you get more fruit uh, throughout the plant. And that's the biggest one. And a lot of the, um, you know, the sour cherries, the Saskatoons, and they a lot of them, they'll sucker out. And so you, if you want to keep control of that, you can trim some of the suckers out. You can leave a few of them up there so they can rejuvenate the plant because eventually uh, the old part of the plant will die out. And so you want to rejuvenate the plant. But you just want to keep it controlled because you get so many suckers up, especially from Saskatoon and sour cherries, that you just want to thin it out so that, you will get better production and bigger berries so that uh, so that because the light is getting down inside the plant a lot better. And so and with uh, things like blueberries and that, you're just shaping and forming and thinning them out a little bit. And then it just helps rejuvenate the plant and the plant will do so much better. Okay, and if you had a choice of a time of year to do some pruning, when would be the best time of year for your fruit trees and plants? Well, the, well, the fruit trees, I mean, he was talking about Rose Valley, which is way down south of the southern part of the province, and so he gets they get quite a bit warmer than we do in the northern part of the province. But, I mean, normally I like doing most of my fruit pruning in March because then you don't have to worry about the weather or anything else, and uh, and uh, it's you can get out there, and, and some of your low shrubs, you just have to wait until the snow melts. So very as soon as you can at the beginning of April. You don't want to wait till the end of April. Prune at the beginning of April before the buds start swelling. And so that's the key uh, to do that. And but I've done a lot of pruning of my fruit trees also in October in the first part of November as well. So it's pretty pretty forgiving what you can do with those with those plants. And uh, but just make sure you if you want lots of fruit production, you have to prune. Okay, I'm going to jump in right here, guys. That pretty much wraps it up for us today, if you can believe it. We had so much more to talk about, but we'll get you some more information, of course, next week. We're going to have an, uh, a not a, we're not having a live show next week. It's going to be recorded, uh, but we'll be back live the week after that. A couple texts we're going to answer off the air but otherwise thanks for joining us uh we'll say goodbye i'm jay with jill and rick this has been garden talk on 650 ckom and 980 cjme